Beloved Church of God, beginning our service before the Lord, let's stand and affirm the promise that is related to the door of our hope. Let the resurrection of Christ reign in our bodies. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are grateful to your holy name for this once again privilege to be in this place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name and allow your inheritance in the name of the covenant of blood to be lifted to heights higher than us and to break all evil and sin that binds us. May in the service be cursed as before all of the works of devil, illnesses, premature death, demonic dependencies, all forms of fears, ignorance, all of this, let it depart from the tents of your holy people. And so stand, Lord, on the place of your rest, you and the ark of your greatness. And may your saints be clothed in your salvation, and may they rejoice before your countenance. Give us more from your Spirit. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and allow us to find your holy countenance. I present this service into your divine arms. Guide it with your uplifted hand. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. May the Lord bless you. You may be seated. Matthew chapter 5, verses 45 48. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Call to perfection. We know that this promised commandment, call to perfection, is written in the book of Matthew and is presented to us in the series of sermon to pastors. And it is addressed this by Christ to his disciples. And therefore, those people who do not accept the authority of the person sent by God have no relation whatsoever to the inheritance of this commandment. And so we have stopped to study the purpose of the sign the sign by which we must judge of our partaking to the sons of peace. This is by the ability to clothe our essence into the holy or selective love of God. Colossians chapter 3, verses 14 through 15. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you are called to in one body and be thankful. According to these words, the reign or the rule of the peace of God or the righteousness of God in our hearts is possible only under one condition. If the selective love of God will dwell in our hearts and we will be dwelled in the selective love of God. The character of the selective love of God is presented by the Holy Spirit in Scripture in the light of seven unearthly virtues, and these are written in First Second Peter chapter one, verses two through eight. And let's repeat them. This is virtue, knowledge, self-control, patience, godliness, brotherly love, and love. 
Together, we have noted that each individual virtue with the fruit of virtue contains the characteristics of all other virtues because they flow from one another, fulfill one another, strengthen one another, and are found in one another. These virtues are the moral perfections and standards that are inherent to the essence of God, and they are given to us through Christ, and they we must become enriched by them. And we can enter into the inheritance of these virtues only by accepting the Holy Spirit as the Lord and ruler of our life, which is going to be expressed in the obedience of our faith with a lowercase letter to the faith of God, capital letter. Our faith and God's faith must cooperate with one another, and by inheriting these great and precious promises, we are made partakers of God's essence. We have already also noted that the selected love of God in seven dignities and characteristics has nothing in common with human love that is filled with ignorance, selfishness, and inconsistency. And apart from the tolerant and selfish love of man, the conditional selective love of God differs in that it carries the all-consuming zeal of God his omnipotence, and his absolute wisdom that is impossible to use for selfish and ignorant reasons. It is the fruit of the selective love of God contained in the format of seven unearthly virtues that is called to destroy the power of death in our body and in its place reign the resurrection of Christ in our bodies and clothe our bodies into the resurrection of Christ in the face of our new man. Let us remember that talking about uh, virtue and the selected love of God, we established the origin and the source of all good. This is God himself. God is the source of all good in the face of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Whereas knowledge in the selected love of God is called to give us discerning of what is good and what is bad, or what God views as good and what He views as evil. And when we have this knowledge and we have figured out what God views as good and what He views as evil, we go on to the third one, self-control. Self-control in us gives us the power to choose what God views as good and reject what He views as evil. And if specifically, then the fourth component of the is the patience of Christ. It is founded on the ability to look at what God views as good and await with hope for the fulfillment of what we have seen. And the discipline of godliness, the fifth component in the selective love of God, is called to keep itself undefiled from what God views as evil and hallow God in our hearts and souls. The sixth component, brotherly love and the selected love of God, serves as the guide from death to life because we love the brethren, and whoever does not love his brother abides in death. And all this leads us to love, which is the bond of perfection that is inherent to the essence of God. So God has all of these qualities, and they are contained in the fact that they are in complete balance with one another. I can't say that I have a lot of patience, but I have a weak brotherly love, and I don't have enough knowledge. As much as knowledge as I have, that much I have brotherly love. There is something to think about, right? 
And now we will look deeper in the love of God, agape, that flows from the good works of God in the atmosphere in which the peace of God reigns in the boundaries of brotherly love. Four sermons we can create from this one phrase. Again, let's repeat it. We will look deeper at the love of God, agape, that flows from the good works of God in the atmosphere in which the peace of God reigns in the boundaries of brotherly love. This, there's a lot of time that would be spent to even write this phrase, not just sit there and write it, but also to know it, to know its essence. Not just be familiar with it, but know it. Know that about which he writes. In Scripture, the love of God agape, as a virtue that flows from brotherly love, opposes the evil that comes from the hatred of fallen angels and men who are under the authority of these fallen spirits. And therefore, in Holy Scripture, the level of the power of the selective love of God, which flows from brotherly love and discovers itself in brotherly love, is defined as the level of the hatred of God toward evil and those who practice evil. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 9 of Jesus, it is said, You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Evil expressing itself in men and hatred, coming from the envy and pride of man, and good that expresses itself in men and love that flows from brotherly love are programs. Therefore, to love righteousness and hate lawlessness is possible only in its carriers, which are their programmable device, as written Psalms chapter 11, verses 5-7. through seven. The Lord tests the righteous, but the wicked and the one who loves violence his soul hates. Upon the wicked he will rain coals, fire and brimstone and a burning wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous, he loves righteousness, his countenance beholds the upright. So we can look at history and look at historical facts about how God despises the wicked and lawless people. The history is full of it. If we don't remember everything, then the historians will remind us about the anger of God that He poured out on His people when they did not submit to His truth and those people that had despised God in the face of His people. How did He pour out? If we Christians will forget about this, we need to ask the historians and they will tell us. And they will show God in His holiness in all periods of life until this very day. And they will show to this very day what's going on with the people of God in the Spirit as well as physically in Israel. God has not changed. We are called to change. With regard to this, it will be necessary for us to answer four classic questions. What does Scripture say about the origin and essence of the fruit of virtue, discovering itself in the heart of a person, in the love of God agape, which proceeds from brotherly love that we are called to demonstrate in our faith? Second, what purpose is the love of God agape that flows from brotherly love called to fulfill in the demonstration of it in our faith? Third, what conditions are necessary to fulfill to demonstrate in our faith the fruit of virtue in the love of God agape, which flows from brotherly love? And by what signs should we test ourselves for the presence of the love of God agape, which flows out of brotherly love?
And so the first question, and again, Pastor wants to highlight the significance of the atmosphere of brotherly love that dwells in the atmosphere of agape love. It's very interesting, and we have stopped to talk about it for a long time, and we are going to follow suit. We can't move ahead. That's why we shouldn't need to rush as well. So the first question, let's read it again. What does Scripture say about the origin and essence of the fruit of virtue, discovering itself in the heart of a person in the love of God, agape, which proceeds from the brotherly love that we are called to demonstrate in our faith? Romans 5, 5 has written, The love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. The love of God it has the ability to be poured out where? In the heart. Through whom? Through the Holy Spirit. Through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. We should understand three components that are called to participate in the outpouring of the love of God in our heart. Let's take a look. So there's the Holy Spirit and there's His love that He is ready to pour out. But is our heart ready to accept it? And here are three components about how our heart must be prepared so that the love of God can be poured out in there and so that we can demonstrate brotherly love toward one another. And so that this is not a fake brotherly love, but a true brotherly love through the love of God, agape. And the Holy Spirit has has something to pour out in us. The question is our heart and three components that we must have in order to accept this love of God, agape. The first component, the love of God can be poured out in our heart if our heart is cleansed from dead works, which makes it able and open to accepting the love of God. A heart that is cleansed from dead works, so that which God calls evil and that which God calls good. Here it must be defined, distinguished. Not what is good for me or what is bad for me, but what is good for God and bad for Him. And that's why we cleanse ourselves from all dead works. Because to, to say evangelism, is it good or evil? 99.9 will say what absurdity evangelism is good. You need to go and preach to all of creation. Apostle says, well, how do you preach if you were not sent? And they say, well, we weren't told about this in our church. And this is a great evil when a person is not sent and he himself sends himself. This is very dangerous and this is evil in the eyes of God. That's why we must cleanse our hearts from dead works. The second component the love of God can be poured out in our heart if our heart is open to the acceptance of the Holy Spirit as the Lord and ruler of our life. And when he comes as a guest, he says, or when he comes as a master, he says, please allow me to stay. Tomorrow I'm leaving with Rebecca. And Rebecca loved her nation, the house of her father, and her corrupt desires. When a person has this and he leaves it, then the Holy Spirit is the Lord and ruler of this person. Third component, the love of God can be poured out in our heart, not through emotions and not in emotions, but through the preached word to us about grace and the information that turned into the proclamations 
of the faith of God that is called to lead our emotions, to demonstrate the love of God like a good rider controls the bits of his horse. So these three components are necessary for us to have to cleanse our heart from dead works, to accept the Holy Spirit as the Lord and ruler of our life, and to accept the preached word of God, the information of which can lead our emotions. Furthermore, we read, given that we're talking about the love of God that has been poured out and the Holy Spirit that has poured out the love of God, furthermore, Pastor Akadi gives us specifics in order to leave, not leave the thematics as abstract. When God pours out something, He pours it out in the format of grace from His lips. So grace is poured out along with grace is poured out the love of God, agape. And this is what we're going to talk about. Psalms 45, 3. You are fairer than the sons of men. Grace is poured upon your lips. So take a look. So the Holy Spirit is has poured out love in our hearts. How does He do this? Grace, or love, is poured along with grace, poured upon the lips, uh, poured, poured out of the lips of God. Again, this is a different angle in our picture. We don't see just emotions. The Holy Spirit, fill me, fill me. He says, fill me. Open your ear, and I will be accepted by you through the grace of God. It says that format and that path through which God pours out the love of God, agape, into our heart. Through the preached word about grace. Through the gospel of the kingdom. Considering the love of God emanating from brotherly love in the essence and dignity of the grace of God, we have repeatedly noted that the love of God pouring into our hearts in the grace of God is not some abstract phenomenon that cannot be given any definition, but that the love of God poured out of the mouth of God in the grace of God is a certain bond of all that God has. And again, we're going to look at uh, seven definitions about the grace of God through which is poured out through the lips of God. First, the grace of God is a certain bond of all that God is, what God has done for us, who we are, and what we need to do in order to receive that which God has prepared for us. Second, Talking about grace, grace is the definite and unchanging goal that God aspires to. You ask a Christian, what is the goal about grace? What is the goal of grace? Grace has an unchanging goal. No one knows. Evangelism to bring more people to repentance? No. He must reign, or the resurrection of Christ must reign in all substances of man, because God wants for the man of God to be and to represent the temple of God. And he will represent this when the resurrection of Christ reigns in both his spirit, soul, and his body. And this was his initial goal. And the majority of people, they say, well, is that so? Is that the goal of God? What other, what other goal? To bring sinners to repentance? No. To bring yourself to repentance and to reign the resurrection of Christ in all three substances of your essence so that his majesty can com feel comfortable in me. Friends, our goal is for His Majesty to feel comfortable on planet Earth. Our goal, brothers and sisters, red clay, is so that His Majesty can feel comfortable on planet Earth. 
And this is the unchanging goal. And this is uncovered through grace. We say that grace has been poured out in the format of brotherly love. And now we hear about how the love of God is poured out in our hearts. God has certain goals. Third, the law of grace is the definition of all that comes from God. And Pastor said that illnesses, catastrophes never come from God. He may allow them when we allow this with our ignorance sometimes or with our sins. Um, they can p penetrate into our life. But God has only two means. This is through our conscience, through which He can speak to us. And second, this is the anointed man of God, who, through the word, of, who is clothed in the format of the anointing to represent the messengership of God on earth, through His word, He can correct us. This is the arsenal of God. The rest of everything else, illnesses, catastrophes, death, all of this is the arsenal of the other one, of the other person for whom we open the door into our life. Sometimes God, though, may allow it so that he can uh, conduct a test. But God in his heavens has only two arsenals. This is the conscience. And second, this is, this is the anointed man of God who, through the preached word, will speak to us, correct us, comfort us, then again, uh, punish us, comfort us, correct us. This is all the arsenal of our Heavenly Father. This comes from God. Fourth, speaking about grace, we have defined that grace is the definite and unchanging law of God. Fifth, grace is the definite and unchanging order of the kingdom of heaven expressed in theocracy. Sixth, grace is a certain doctrine of the kingdom of God. Jesus preached the kingdom. And seventh, the definition of all that constitutes the kingdom of heaven. All of these definitions of the love of God being poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit in the words of grace are built up and gain their legal power in God's covenant with man. So without a covenant, without a contract between God and man, this grace does not have the right to existence. This means the Holy Spirit does not have any legal right to pour out the love of God in our hearts. And therefore, the love of God, due to the law of grace, firstly, and we're to looking at specifically the law of grace, it has transferred into the, into the law of God. This law of God brings us to a contract. Love of God began to state that grace is a kind of law, a teaching. Now, grace that is presented in the law. So the law of grace, as we heard, stems from the law of Moses. There are seven components. The law of grace is opposed to the law of Moses. Third, the law of grace is exalted above the law of Moses. Fourth, the law of grace repeals the law of Moses. Five, the law of grace replaces the law of Moses. Sixth, the law of grace is independent of the law of Moses. And seventh, the law of grace is stricter than the law of Moses. And this is how we can knock out the religious world in the face of the old man. How... How uh, wonderful have we begin, and our emotions are in complete knockout, and we'll, we'll ask, if you say that the love of God is poured out through grace, yes, specifically through it. In Hebrew, the word grace is associated with an inheritance and comes from the root of the verb provide, take care, and prepare, which indicates the fact that God, through His grace, based on the greatness of the new covenant made with the new man, provided, cared for, and prepared for man an inheritance 
in the subject of complete salvation. So God, through His grace, again I've highlighted here, is founded on the greatness of the new covenant. The new covenant, the new covenant is made with a new man. He has made a new covenant with a new man. We must lead ourselves into the new man. God has made a new covenant, how beautifully written, with a new a new man. Save him. Other substances, the soul and the body, are found in death. And in order to make a covenant with God, we need to place to place it into our new man. We need to clothe ourselves into the new man. And therefore, the new covenant that we are talking about, it is contained with our reborn spirit of God. And then, the new man we must spread into our soul and into our body, from which it follows that in the heart in which there is no seal of righteousness, which stipulates a mutual bond of covenant between God and man, the love of God expressing itself in the law of grace, does not have its own legal field. Due to this, the power of God's love agape, contained in the law of grace and pouring into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, acquires its legitimacy and its legal powers in our hearts within the boundaries of such components, four components. So very beautifully said, the love of God agape that is contained in the new covenant that is poured out into our hearts of the Holy Spirit gains its legitimacy and its legal rights in our hearts within the boundaries of such components. First, and when we read these components, we say, Lord, what? well, these are the base teachings, base truths. To make a baptism with God a contract, to, ex to participate in communion, to become a member of the church, to proclaim the word of God regarding the uh, resurrection of Christ. Well, this is all of that which is preached to people during the time of repentance. Well, yes. Because not many use this. A lot of times people forget these components that would allow them to have the legal right to grace. The legal right to grace. Again, we're talking about how to receive the legal right to grace. Why are we talking about why do we need to receive the legal right to grace? Because if you have grace, this is the law of grace. So when we hear the word law, law, the law has a legal right. We come to the court and it has a legal right. There are stamps, there are correct orders. Everything is correctly filled out. Legal rights are present there where the law is. The law of God is present there where there's the love of God. And the love of God is called to be poured out. But it must go through all these labyrinths and find its place in our heart. And so four components that are necessary in order to receive the legal right to grace. So that love can be poured out in our hearts. First, we poured out in a mutual covenant with God made in baptisms in which we, working with the truth of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit, cleansed our conscience from dead works and by confessing the faith of our hearts, immersed ourselves in the death of Christ. Mark 16, 16, he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. In this case, the ultimate goal pursued by baptism in the name of Jesus Christ, so all of those who prepare themselves to baptize be baptized by water, they must know that the the ultimate goal pursued by baptism is the resurrection of Christ, which is called to be the direct result of this baptism. 
Romans 6, 3-4. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized in Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, and just as Jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in the newness of life. Thus, baptism into the death of the Lord Jesus, which is not pursuing the goal of achieving the resurrection in Jesus, to walk with him in a renewed mind, in a renewed life, loses its significance and effectiveness and ceases to be baptism. What have I gotten from this? In order to have the legal right to grace through which God is going to pour out, it's necessary to make a contract in water, Holy Spirit, and fire. And having made a covenant with God in baptisms, if we have not said that the goal end goal is death, but death is only the contract that brings me to resurrection of Christ, then baptism becomes not baptism. Circumcision becomes not circumcision. A half truth is a great lie. That's why baptism is called to lead us into resurrection. Second, we are talking about how we could receive the legal right to having grace. First was baptism. Second is partaking of the Lord's Supper. The power of God's love containing the law of the grace of God acquires its legitimacy and its strength in partaking of the Lord's Supper in which the new covenant acquires its authority and its effectiveness. Luke chapter 22, verse 20. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. If a person participates in the Lord's Supper but does not realize its significance, he unworthily tastes the Lord's Supper and becomes guilty against the body and blood of the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 26-30 For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till He comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. So here it's important to correctly partake in the breaking of bread or the Lord's Supper. Jesus did not allow any strangers to be present there. If strangers were there or they received access in this supper, was unworthily partaken to. The Supper of the Lord is only for the chosen, the chosen children of God, for Christians, for God's chosen remnant, and not for those that are called. The called, they don't understand. Scripture tells them to discern. When they are told to eat of uh, the flesh and drink of the blood, He invited them to partake of the Supper. They had left Him. And Apostle came and said, Everyone has left you. Oh, uh, Jesus asked, would you like to leave me? He says, no, we have no one to go to. You have uh, eternal life. And then further on, Peter asked, Lord, why did you say to them so strictly to the Jews, we don't drink human flesh nor eat uh, the blood of man? If he would have said it beautifully, like he did it at the supper when he sat with the twelve, 
When someone says, asked him, Lord, who will betray you? He said, he who I will give. He then turned. Judas was laying on him and opened his mouth and he placed it into his mouth. Judas swallowed it, fixed his garments, stood up from the supper and left. He said, if you would have said this to those disciples that this body and this bread is a new covenant, no one would leave you. Jesus said, why did you not leave with other disciples? He says, because we have no one to go to. Foxes have holes and birds have nests. That's why Jesus says, I will not allow these people into my presence and especially to partake of the breaking of bread. The breaking of bread is the legal right that gives us the right to grace. When we receive, receive grace, the Holy Spirit can pour out the love of the Father, agape, into our hearts. Third, we're talking about grace. What it is necessary for us to do in order to receive the legal right to having grace. Third, to make a covenant with God based on the decree of the law of grace, a man cannot go anywhere he wants and when he wants, but only when he finds a good wife whose husband is known at the gate. Proverbs 18.23, Who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. In scripture, a wife is represented by every person in the congregation of saints. So, she who does not accept or does not recognize Christ as, as the husband or the head of the church or who is unfaithful to her husband is, cannot be called a good wife. For all the promises of God in him are yes and in him amen and to the glory of God to the glory of God through us. From this parable it follows that a virtuous wife is such a church in which in the doctrine of the grace of God the truth of such a word is preached, thanks to which the saints, spending all their efforts, can have an elevated, touching, and easy relationship with God and one another. Philippians chapter 4 verse 8 As written, Finally, brethren, Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The virtue that a virtuous wife has in demonstrating the love of God that comes from brotherly love is a virtue that is grown from acknowledgement of God. For this purpose, he, for this purpose, he needs to distinguish good from evil, or rather, to know what characteristics virtue has and how virtue differs from evil. Otherwise, because of our ignorance, we will perceive evil as good and good as evil. And believing that we are serving God and are heading into eternal life, we will serve the spirits of seduction and follow eternal destruction. Isaiah 5.20 Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. So these people are not virtuous or not a good wife. That church where we can find grace. This is the third component, again, a very important component that is necessary for us to have. Therefore, these understandings, like I will save myself, God dwells everywhere, the most important thing is to have God. 
And here we just see three components of what it is necessary to do to have a covenant with God, to understand its essence. A virtuous wife knows what is good and what is evil or what God views as good and what he views as evil. The fourth one, talking about grace, to find grace and to receive grace contained containing the love of God agape is to discover in your field the treasure of the kingdom of heaven. The fourth component Our goal is to find treasure, treasure of the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 13:44. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. From the existing meaning of this parable, it follows, if a person does not discover by searching for the treasure of the kingdom of heaven hidden in his field, he will not be able to use the grace of God to realize his salvation. Under the image of our field, we see the image of our corruptible body under the rule of the law of sin and death, which on the door of our hope has a promise to liberate it from the law of sin and death under the condition provided that for this field in the dignity of our earthly body we will sell everything that we have in the face of our nation, our household, and our carnal life in order to find this field in the dignity of our body as an instrument of righteousness. Again, if finding a good wife is the making of a marital contract or a marital unit with a certain gathering of saints who meet the requirements chosen by the remnant of God, then the discovery in our body of the treasures of the kingdom of heaven and the adoption of our body through the redemption of Christ is the reign of the resurrection of Christ in our body. Proceeding from Scripture, God's selective love as a true virtue, proceeding from the atmosphere, brotherly love, in which a virtuous wife is clothed in, is a good, nurtured from the knowledge of God, is good, nurtured from the knowledge of God by listening to the gospel about the kingdom of heaven within man. And such a virtue, nurtured by God inside the heart of man, from the seed of the gospel of the word of God about the kingdom of heaven, is determined by Scripture as the fruit of righteousness. Therefore, in order to understand in ourselves the natural essence of God's love emanating from brotherly love, we will need to remember what and whom does God love and what and whom does God hate. Because only by loving what God loves and hating what God hates, we can be filled with the fullness of God and express in our faith God's reaction to good and evil. And today we will look at those components that are going to show us all that God loves. And we will see that He has a selective love. God does not love everything and He does not love everyone. His love is very holy and very selective. Alright. First, the selective love of God flowing from the virtue of God in the atmosphere in which the peace of God rules in the boundaries of brotherly love, according to its nature, loves to have mercy on repenting sinners. So God loves repenting sinners. So those children of God that repent. 
Micah 7.18, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. Repenting sinners are vessels of mercy, but sinners who justify sin are vessels of wrath who are prepared for perdition. Romans 9, 22-24 What if God, wanting to show His wrath and to make His power known, endured with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, and that He might make known the riches of His glory on the vessels of mercy which He had prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom He called, not of Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. In order to repent of our sin, it is necessary not only to confess our sin, but to acknowledge over us a person endowed with the Holy Spirit as the authority of the fatherhood of God, through which God can forgive our sin and cleanse us from sin. John chapter 20, verses 21 through 23. So Jesus said to them again, so again to his apostles, Peace to you. He didn't hear anything in an answer because they were surprised. Furthermore, he says, As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them. So he passed on to them, Remit to me. And said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Regardless of whether we like such a decree of God in relation to the forgiveness of our sins or if we don't like it, the non-recognition and opposition to this decree will not give God a reason to forgive us and cleanse us from sin. Because God is vigilant over His Word, which He made the law both for Himself and for us, and not over what we like or dislike. He is not based on what we like or what we dislike. I understand or I don't understand. He has a law which he is based on. Therefore, he submits himself to this and we must also. If we confess our sins to God in the face of a person representing the fatherhood of God in our congregation and after that, carried away by our wickedness and lawlessness, were outraged against this person and left this congregation, we thereby returned our sins to our heads. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 25 through 27, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some. Again, this is a habit. People begin to leave assembly. There's a habit of leaving. But exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and a fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. At the same time, we will bear in mind that the person chosen by us by a majority of votes or proclaiming ourselves to be a minister, according to revelations known to him, does not have a legal right to forgive sin and leave sins on a person. In all churches where you were pastors, People do not have justification. Because the Holy Spirit did not breathe upon this person and says, As my Father sent me, therefore I also sent you. There was the church that voted for him. These hands was not the breathing of the Holy Spirit. The hands 
that had voted. John chapter 13, 20. Most assuredly I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. Luke 10, 16. He who hears you hears me, he who rejects you rejects me, and he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. This was the first component. Second, select a love of God flowing from the virtue of God and the atmosphere in which the peace of God rules and the boundaries of brotherly love according to its nature, loves the orphan, widow, and stranger. So we're talking about how select the love God loves. It loves a repenting sinner, and now it loves the orphan, widow, and stranger. He administers justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the stranger, giving him food and clothing. We already know quite well that the image of an orphan, widow, and stranger is an image that determines the condition of a person who by the power of the cross of Christ, has separated himself from his people, his father's house, and the corrupt lusts of his soul. To love such a person or to give judgment to such a person is to support him in prayer, to do good to him in his needs, and to protect him from his enemies. These people, uh, we are these people, and that's why let's value each other. Again, moving, moving forward. The selected love of God, who does, who does she love? The selected love of God flowing from the virtue of God in the atmosphere in which the peace of God rules and the boundaries of brotherly love, loves justice. Psalms 33.5 He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. So if I have love and righteousness, then mercy will cover my whole essence. Why? Because God loves the carriers of justice. Let us remember one irrefutable truth, that the righteousness and justice of God are programs that yield the reigning teaching of Christ, which can discover itself in a living programmable device that could be a good and wise heart redeemed by God. Therefore, the righteousness and justice of God cannot express itself apart from this living programmable device, which is the portion of God, belonging of God, and hallow of God. According to the phrase, the earth is full of the goodness of the Lord, it follows that the mercy of the Lord acts in the legal field of righteousness and justice. As such, the justice of God, first of all, consisted in showing mercy, in protecting the innocent when he will be charged from the carriers of wickedness and lawlessness, and blaming the wicked and lawless in order to give just retribution, both one and the other. Psalms 91, 7-9 A thousand may fall at your side, and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked, because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place. Further, it should be borne in mind that God shows His mercy in protecting the rights of the innocent from wicked and lawless people among saints, through people vested with the powers of His court, to execute a written judgment by confessing the faith of God that dwells in their hearts. God protects the blameless in the church from wicked and lawless when saints 
in whose hearts there is righteousness and justice, begin to pray and proclaim the word of God. How wonderful is this? God protects the blameless from the wicked and lawless when people clothed in the powers of His court because they have a justice written in their heart, they begin to pr uh, confess the faith of God or the justice of God that dwells in their hearts. Proverbs 18.21-22 Death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. The confession of the faith of God that dwells in the heart is always a work of truth expressed in constant sanctification. The confession of the faith of God, which is absent in the heart, is always a work of unrighteousness expressed in the constant desecration of one's nature. On my heart there is a stamp called righteous of God and it will be express itself in holiness. And again, this confession that dwells in our heart is always a work of truth expressed in constant sanctification, whereas when it is absent in the heart, it's always a work of unrighteousness. And this person has a stamp, liar, forged, an unrighteous person, and it is expressed in constant desecration of one's nature. So these, these prayers, they destroy man. Revelation 22, verses 11 through 12. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. Here we think about he who is an alcoholic, let him continue to drink. He who is a drug addict, let him continue. No. A person who does not have in his heart the righteousness of God, let him pray. Let him continue to lie. But the righteous... Let him continue to practice righteousness, and he who is holy, let him be holy still. So a person who has the law of God written in his heart, let him continue to pray and sanctify himself. Behold, I am qu coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. It's sum it, To summarize, God loves the vessels of mercy because they are the carriers of his righteousness and his justice in the proclamation of the faith of their heart. Furthermore, we're talking about who God loves. He loves those who have righteousness and justice, and He covers their bodies with mercy. Furthermore, the selective love of God flowing from the virtue of God in the atmosphere in which the peace of God rules, in the boundaries of brotherly love, according to its nature, loves the holy nation that is found in God's hand and sits down at His feet to receive His words. Deuteronomy 33, 3. Yes, He loves the people. All His saints are in your hand. They sit down at your feet. Everyone receives your words. To be holy is to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly pleasing to God for our reasonable service. Romans 12, 1-2 I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. It follows that the saints are a small part of the elect, who through instruction in faith subjected themselves to total consecration for total dedication to God. 
as a living sacrifice, holy, pleasing to God for reasonable service. Luke 14.24 For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. Luke chapter 14.24 for many are called, but few are ch chosen. At all times, both in the society of the people of Israel and in the assemblies of believers, the remnant chosen by God is holy. At the same time, the category of called ones in their totality are people who have prepared themselves for perdition. So some prepare themselves for salvation, and others, due to their actions, they prepare themselves for perdition. But they don't know about this. How do they not know about this? They are told in churches that which flatters their ears. If you have voted for me, I'm going to preach what's according to your menu. But if God has established a person, then there is no menu. We don't have a menu. This is our menu, the written word of God. Pastor has a revelation of God and on my, my, on my, what is on my menu is to read what is on his menu in his word. No, we can't just pick and choose what we want. You know how many hours pastor spends in studying the Word? A lot. A lot. That's that's what they say. Brother Daniel, how do you receive revelations? Copy, print. I take, read, and pray. I don't have independent revelations that are apart from, from what is already written here. Go, take. Why are you wasting your time? If I read the revelations of pastor, then my wife will say, go to work. Why are you, why are you home? Oh, Brother Daniel, what, you work? No, I'm searching for revelations from God. If whoever is searching for for revelations outside of, of church, go and work. Independent revelations. There is no understanding of this. Revelations that are independent of pastor. These are simply businessmen in church. You can't do these things. You need to, with trembling, act toward what we have. If you look, consider what, how much labor is concluded in, 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 in this, we would grow to, to respect it. The chosen are distinguished from those called by the fact that they fell at the feet of God to His words. Therefore, the feet of God are the feet of saints whom the Holy Spirit has clothed in the fatherhood of God so that they can preach the gospel of the kingdom. Therefore, to fall at the feet of God is to call on God in the sanctuary of God. Romans chapter 10, verses 13 through 17. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Romans chapter 10, verses 13 through 17. So, 
Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God that is found in people who are dependent on God's revelations. According to these words, if a person does not accept the authority of a person clothed in the powers of the fatherhood of God, he falls not at the feet of God, but at his own feet, or those feet that resist God. Furthermore, the selective love of God, we're talking about who God loves, the selective love of God flowing from the virtue of God in the atmosphere in which the peace of God rules and the boundaries of brotherly love, according to its nature, opens the eyes of the blind, raises those who are bowed down, and loves the righteous. Psalms 146, verse 8. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind, raises those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. And these, all these categories, those whom, whose eyes He opens, who uh, He raises that are bowed down and loves the righteous, all these are the righteous whom He loves. In this, uh, in this case, this represents a specific category of righteous people who, upon being born from the seed of the word of truth, are born blind and bowed down. When we are born again, and we have the substance of our spirit, we are born blind and bowed down in the physical world. We are born blind, and when we begin to see, we begin to see everything upside down. We need someone to, to, uh, to fix our vision and to place us on our feet. It is according to this sign that we can distinguish the category of God's chosen remnants from the category of the called who do not acknowledge themselves as blind. They, uh, John chapter 9, verses 39 through 41, And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may be blind. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, Are we blind also? Jesus said to them, If you are, were blind, you would have no sin, but now you say, We see. Therefore, your sin remains. From the phrase, If you were blind, you would have no sin, but now you say, We see, therefore your sin remains. It follows that the category of the blind who are born from the seed of the word of truth are called righteous because God does not impute to them their sin. So when a person is born blind, he acknowledges this. He says, I need someone to open my eyes. Whereas the category of people who do not acknowledge themselves as blind, they remain in their sin and are preserved by God for perdition. Righteous, the scripture said that if a person is born again and was never blind, he's always seeing. Scripture says that on him sin remains, all of his sins. We're seeing this blindness in its positive aspect. There is blindness in a negative aspect. Blind, he ends up in the pit. And when we talk about the blind is led by the uh, person that does see this is correct. When the blind says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me. He says, what do you need? He says, I am blind. I want to see. Praise God. To you, sin is not imputed to those like you. Whereas the category of those who acknowledge themselves, righteousness of God's chosen remnant is defined by the obedience of their faith to the faith of God and the preached word about the kingdom of heaven, which is called to save their souls from sin and death and adopt their bodies to the resurrection and redemption of Christ. The evil of people that are 
part of the category of the called is comprised the fact that they refuse to acknowledge that their souls living in their deadly bodies is found in the authority of of hell and that they do not need to save their soul from the authority of hell so they say that we are we are saved what do you mean save your soul save your bodies we are already saved they say whereas these two substances are still in death and we are saved in hope our spirit is saved but all the other substances are in hope you might say well should we worry the spirit is saved that's that's the most important thing right no god is based only on one substance that is the soul this is what is unique in this we have a spirit soul and body god saves our spirit and but our eternity depends on our soul spirit body they are connected by the soul we select we select what we want to be saved who is our soul going to incline towards our spirit for this is necessary to renew everything with the spirit of our mind or it is going to rely on the body and it is going to rely on feelings on emotions I feel I think I think my own Bible tells me this and so forth and when it is focused on this then this part of the door will fall away but those who have renewed their thinking with the spirit of their mind um, will lean in that direction will the door fall this way or that way John chapter 9 verses 1 through 7 now as Jesus passed by he saw a man who was blind from birth and his disciples asked him saying rabbi who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind Jesus answered neither this man nor his parents sinned but that the works of God should be revealed in him I must work the works of him who sent me while it is this while it is day so Lord why am I why was I born blind is this is this my fault no he says so that the glory of God could be revealed in you I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day the night is coming when no one can work as long as I am in the world I am the light of the world when he said these things he spat on the ground and made clay with saliva and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay and he said to him go wash in the pool of Siloam which is translated sent so he went and washed and came back seeing in this instance the person who was born blind represents the category of the chosen who did not have sin in them because they like Abraham accepted their justification by faith according to the grace of God and then like Abraham affirmed it by submitting their faith to the faith of God when they went to go bathe in Siloam Siloam in Hebrew means Shiloh which means sending water or conducting water that is a water supply which indicates the image of the body of Christ presented in his resurrection the bath of Siloam is an image of the body of Christ in the face of the bride of the Lamb, whereas washing in Siloam is an image of being clothed in the resurrection of Christ. The clay with which Jesus washed the eyes of the blind is a format of a curse that destroys a curse of a different format, as it is written, Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 15, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. 
Again, to release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. In other words, the image of a person blind at birth on whom there is no sin represents the state of God's chosen remnants who is a carrier of a terrestrial body. So until we, while we, are, we remain blind, we are carriers of a terrestrial body, but a person who is cleansed in the bath of Siloam The image of a person blind at birth who began to see after washing in the bath represent the states of God's chosen remnant who is a carrier of a heavenly body. So when I am bathed in the bath of Siloam and I begin to see the goals of God, then I am now called the carrier of a heavenly body because now I can see God's goal, I can see His goal and call the inexistent as existent and consider myself dead to sin and alive to God. So this make is done by a person who sees when we do this when we call the inexistent as existent when we consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to god this means that we were bathed in the bath of siloam we were blind someone came to us and through the teaching he had cleansed our eyes and cursed our misunderstandings and we begin to see the goals of god begin to understand his goals and walk toward these goals and proclaim the correct words the next component, the selective love of God flowing from the virtue of God in the atmosphere in which the peace of God rules and the boundaries of brotherly love loves a cheerful giver. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. So let each one give as he proposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. When people do something for God grudgingly, he does not accept this. The love of God toward a cheerful giver is expressed in his retribution or in his reward toward the one who does good. So he loves to do good to the person who does something voluntarily to God. Proverbs 19.17 He who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord, and he will pay back what he has given. He who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord. Can you lend to the Lord? This place of scripture says that he who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord. We can we can lend something to our majesty. How wonderful is it that we have this opportunity? And he will pay back what he has given. God will give back toward the works. We will also note that cheerful giving and service to God of tithes and offerings, as well as any of our other gifts to those neighbors that are in need, points the difference between the righteous and the wicked, between those that serve God and those that do not. Very important to note this. So the Lord, through our gifts or through our cheerful giving, defines whether or not we serve God. This is according to the state of our heart. So giving is like a prayer. It's like a prayer. When we are silent, it's difficult for God to understand what is happening with us. We need to speak. When we begin to speak, He begins to read before the lines. Exactly what we're saying. For example, when the Pharisee stood, he had praised God with psalms. But inside, he prayed and said, Thank you that I am not like this, this other man. He couldn't. He was taught the Torah, and he could not come 
as Russians, Germans, the Polish pray. They did not pray like we prayed. They couldn't pray these words of Psalms. We had, they had to pray according to the Word of God, and the Pharisees were praying according to the words of God. But take a look. When a person begins to speak, God begins to look in his heart. Begin this, between the strokes, it was written, Thank you that I am good and this other man is bad, that I am not like him. And he did not walk away justified. It's important when we give. When we give something to God, God does not... God, through this giving, can figure us out through our state, the state of our heart. Malachi chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. Your words have been harsh against me, says the Lord, yet you say, what have we spoken against you? And Lord says, it is useless to serve God. What profit is it that we have kept his ordinance and that we have walked as mourners before the Lord of hosts? So now we call the proud blessed. For those who do wickedness are raised up. They even tempt God and go free. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who feared the Lord and who meditate on his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I make them my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. Then you shall again discern between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve Him. So these beautiful words. So the Lord, when a person gives and he says, well, what good is this that I am giving? People that do not honor God are better off than me. Scripture says we must never give in the state. We must never give looking side to side. We must rejoice and be content with what we have. And when we do give something to God, our heart must be filled with grace. So we talked about what the selected love of God loves. Now, now we are going to be prepared for prayer and we are going to pray. We have everything for this. We have the truth. As we heard, our Ahab, he is submissive to us. He has gathered all of Israel on the mountain of God. We have placed these 12 stones on that place in which they must be. We have placed the wood there. We meditate over these words. Everything we cover with the with the proclamations with the 12 buckets we bring this bull and we wait for an answer from God and God is going to give his answer he will give it in the fire may you be blessed let us pray Dear Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you for the great privilege to be in this place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. We thank you that on this place you have revealed yourself numerously. You have revealed your greatness 
in your names in which we saw our fate in your names in which we saw what you have done for us and what we must do on our end to cooperate with your grace we thank you lord that you are our stronghold that you are our strength you are our deliverer you are our rock of israel in whom we trust the horn of our salvation our refuge our shield and we call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised in all your titles and in all your names. And we thank you that you have demonstrated your revelation. You have revealed your names and you have allowed us to enter into the inheritance of this promised land, to enter into our inheritance through the revelation about you, about who you are, what you have done for us. We thank you, Lord, that the time the time in which the floods of the floods scared us and the chains had scared us you have heard our prayer out of our out of your depths and for your holy inheritance you have inclined and bowed down your heavens and have come from your heavens have sat upon the cherubims and you have let the thunder go upon your land you have stretched out your hand toward us and have brought us out of the deep waters from the lawlessness that scared us you have played, placed us on a broad place in Christ and we thank you we thank you and today, being found in the resurrection of Christ, we have prepared our heart for the outpouring of the love of God, agape. We have prepared all of that, which we must prepare on our end. And we have cleansed our conscience from, from dead works. And we call and love that which you calls good and we despise all of that which you view as evil we thank you that the Holy Spirit is the Lord and ruler of our life and we submit our faith to your faith your faith that is presented in the format of your law your grace our faith submits and is ready to submit to your revelations that you say to us that we, that you teach us upon this place we thank you Lord that our heart is ready is ready for the outpouring of the love of God agape because we independent on our feelings but we Lord depend on that information and on your law that are presented to us in the format of the preached Word of God and we turn to it as a lamp that shines in the dark place until day comes and the morning star ascends in our heart we thank you Lord that our heavens in the format of our heart contain all of those promises that are engraved on your heavens and you have said that when you give us these promises then you will fulfill all of that which was written in heaven 
in your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that all those promises that we hear about, they are found not beyond the clouds, but in our hearts. And we are covered with that troubling and that readiness that you are clothed in. You have allowed us to understand you because you have understood us. You have become just as we are in order for us to become like you. You died for our sin whereas we die for your truth. You lost your dignity so that we can gain your dignities in the cross. You lost power in order for us to be clothed in the powers of the Holy Spirit to represent your interests and proclaim your name. And you have said that you proclaim the name of your saints before the Father and before all of the angels. We thank you for your love that has poured out upon your inheritance. We thank you for the selective and holy love of God, agape, which you demonstrate in the atmosphere of brotherly love. You, Lord, love the repenting sinner. Therefore, we thank you. We thank you that we are found on that place in which is present your divine order in the church which you view as your, as your good wife because here is the kingdom of of God here is the truth that builds the atmosphere of brotherly love between saints and the atmosphere of love with God here is the truth the truth that separates good from evil and truth from, from lies and you call this place a good wife and you demonstrate your grace in it. and we thank you for this great grace which you give in the face of the church in which we are a part of we thank you for this grace which you have revealed to us in baptisms and you have allowed us to be immersed in baptism so that we could be clothed in the resurrection of Christ and walk in a renewed life already today, being found and continuing to be found in our bodies, awaiting, Lord, for the fullness of time when you are going to reign the resurrection of Christ in the bodies of your saints. We thank you, Lord, that you have allowed us through baptism to see our resurrection in Christ Jesus. And to be found with your righteousness and not from the righteousness that's from the law. We thank you for your body and for your blood. We thank you, Father, for your Son, Jesus for his broken body and for his spilled blood. And we eat, we eat of his body and we drink of his blood. And we thank you that today this truth does not scare us. The truth about the blood does not scare us. That delivers us from sin and cleanses us from sin. And we are not scared of the truth about the body of Christ which condemns and destroys the manufacture of sin, the old man. These truths do not scare us. That's why we worthily partake 
of your flesh and drink of your blood. We thank you for this great privilege to eat of your flesh and to drink of your blood, which you have presented to us in the truth about the cross of Christ. We thank you, Lord, that in your word there is no truth which we can stumble upon because we have no one to go to because we have fallen at your feet and we know that you love all of those that have fallen at your feet and await with trembling the revelation of your word we thank you for that truth that we have that we are able to read, to proclaim which we can be immersed in, to be clothed in we thank you, Lord, and we have acknowledged the truth. We have acknowledged the truth that you answer your anointed one from your holy heavens. We know that you answer your anointed one from your holy heavens, and we ask you for you to continue to answer, to answer your anointed one from your heavens. And we, Lord, are going to prepare our heavens, our spirit, and our heart in order to accept those promises which you have prepared, in order to place them and to affirm them in the heaven of our spirit, so that when the time comes for the fulfillment of all of your promises, so that the heaven inside of us can be filled with your promises, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for the equality of the clouds and the truths that are found in your word and that are found in our hearts. We thank you for your great love, agape, that is found in the atmosphere of brotherly love and in which the righteousness of God has reigned. We thank you and praise you for it. We prepare our hearts to accepting your truth and we ask you, and we exalt you in your law of grace. We thank you that your law comes from the law of Moses, is placed above the law of Moses, and it is stricter than the law of Moses. And we thank you, Lord, that all of those components relate to each of us and not just me. Therefore, we call upon your severity in the format of your word because this is all that you have in your arsenal. Continue today to place the words, and we place your words in our heart so that they could speak to us through our conscience as well, Lord. Also, show us your mercy and speak to us through your angel, through your messenger. If you see that we are veering off our path, then we ask you to use the methods in your arsenal to correct us with your word. We ask you, Lord, to keep us from the arsenal that is found in the hands of death, in the hands of devil. Protect us from this. Allow us to use that which is found in your arsenal because you, Lord, have mercy. When you correct or punish, there is always comfort involved. Hell has no comfort. When hell comes, consolation never comes with it. We ask you, Lord, to allow us to use your grace correctly. And we accept that word which corrects us today, corrects us, tells us of the future, and we act, correctly act toward it, and we thank you for it. 
We do not allow hell to reveal itself. We thank you, Lord, for your truth, for the Holy Spirit, for the Church of God, for God's chosen remnant. We thank you that this is all of that where grace has the legal right to be poured out, to pour out the love of God agape in the heart of each holy person. May your name be blessed, our Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the hand of the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let us conclude with our unchanging manifestation. That to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.